have arrived at Unhidden. Produced by Hetty Vermont, we're about bringing cannabis in all its forms out of the dark ages of prohibition and into the light of a world which can definitely use some help from this awesome plant. I'm your host, Catherine Bloom. Many of the challenges inherent in running any kind of cannabis-based business in the current national patchwork quilt of legalization involves the fact that without federal legalization, financial management is an extremely difficult proposition. From the challenge of obtaining basic banking services to the inability to raise capital or even process payments, cannabis businesses are often desperately hamstrung by the inability to manage their finances in a safe and secure way. Fortunately for Matt Aaron, founder of the CBD coffee company Crazy Calm, he'd spent time in the cryptocurrency world and saw the potential for electronic currencies like Bitcoin to help do an end run around this problem. I should note that Matt was kind enough to record the call from his professional podcasting booth. And so if it sounds like I'm the one on the phone here, I am. And also, once again, Hetty Vermont is a dynamic work environment. So we've got a little incidental audio noise as well. But hey, real life provides the spice, right? So my conversation with Matt Aaron. Matt, I have to imagine that a guy who is an expert in cryptocurrency who also has a CBD coffee company is someone who has not taken a conventional path through his life. So give us a little bit of thumbnail sketch of who you are and where you came from and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, you hit, what was it the nail on the head? I don't even know what the, the expression is, but you're, you're 100% right. I have lived an unconventional <laughs> life and probably a lot of hitting my head against the wall is because I tried to fit into a conventional life for a while or didn't realized that I didn't want to live a, you know, live a conventional life. And so never really liked school, always had an, I guess maybe a natural talent for math. I went to college, but as soon as I graduated, I had a lot of different jobs, had tried a lot of different entrepreneurial projects. After a series of events, I decided to move to Columbia in 2009 to do some volunteer writing projects and, and working with kids. 2012, I got into health. Again, I, I'll put a disclaimer. It's very hard to describe your life sometimes. And so I get into health foods in 2012 start selling Kamu Kamu, which is a, a superfood on Amazon from Peru. Then I got into fresh produce in 2015, shipping a fruit called the Goldenberry from Colombia to the United States. And we had an organic farm that we rented and grew goldenberries there. In 2017, we lost the harvest and it was a blessing in disguise. You probably want to know how we lost the harvest. We had a frost. I'm not an agronomist and we lost all of our organic crop. So what happened? Well, I had a lot of free time enough to have a little, you know, a couple of days of woe is me. But then also the realization and the blessing was that I need to do other things with my life. I cannot depend on this very difficult agricultural supply chain from Columbia to the United States and focus on something else. So I took a course on cryptography, a free course online at Stanford. And Why cryptography? Honestly, I don't know why, because this is before I discovered Bitcoin. I I think I, I mean, did I was, you want to be did you want to be a spy when you were a kid? Or? Well, I, I was very into like James Bond movies and I did study body language and I'm a fan of information security. So I, I guess cryptography had always uh, and I had read a book about the history of just codes and, and secrets and, and secret treasures. So I guess I always had an interest in that. But it was really honestly, Kathy, I, I was just looking for random courses to take. And I also did one on statistical modeling as well. But just looking for new skills to add. And I knew cryptography mm -hmm. was hot, but I didn't know about Bitcoin. And then when I discovered Bitcoin, you know, 
towards the end of the course, a couple light bulbs clicked on. And it's not the light bulb where you understand everything and where everything's going, but you just feel intuitively that this is going to be big without being able to intellectually explain what, what is happening. So you really have to trust your instincts. I think our instinct muscle is something you develop as you get older and you have to be able mm -hmm. to make decisions in life knowing that you won't be able to explain it. You know, why did you move to Vermont? Why did you do X? Why did you start this business? Why did you get married or break up with this this person? Sometimes it's hard to give a reason. You don't even know the reason yourself. But six months later or a year later, you look back and you can more uh, eloquently describe why you did something. And in the meantime, you just have to have faith in your own solidity and the flow of life manifesting interesting stuff and assuming that you can probably handle whatever comes along. And of course, there's ups and downs. It's not a linear thing. There's there's plenty of ups and downs in, in entrepreneurship and living an unconventional life path, but you get to handle the inevitable lows a little bit better as you go through life. And it definitely makes for an interesting story when you're podcasting or your cocktail parties. Yeah, I'd say so. I, I, I think so. And I've definitely lived an interesting story, made plenty of mistakes. You know, it's, it's funny when Looking at, at the, the CBD coffee company that, that uh, we'll talk about today and, and Bitcoin, you know, why do cannabis companies, you know, why should they be interested in exploring Bitcoin as a payment method? Well, it, it's pretty interesting to me. I, I spoke up to 2017 where I discovered Bitcoin. I had been podcasting. I used to have a food podcast that I sold a couple years ago. And so I've been podcasting for a long time. And as you've seen, Kathy, with some of you, the guests you've had already, it's a great excuse to talk to really interesting people in the space. And in my oh, case, sure. yeah. uh, in food and, and then in Bitcoin, that I really didn't have much business talking to. But I was able to say, hey, do you want to come on a podcast? All of a sudden, I get to talk to this very interesting person. And in Bitcoin, they're very interesting people for an hour. Actually, my my podcast was called Five Minute Crypto. So for 15 minutes, which is easier to get someone on than an hour. And anyway, right. I, I interviewed this guy named Roger Veer, who owns Bitcoin.com. Uh, he's you know been involved in the space for a long time. After interviewing him, it led to him asking me if I wanted to run the podcast network on Bitcoin.com, which I gladly accepted. And this was the end of December 2017. And I ran it for two years. And I transitioned out after an amazing run there to start a CBD coffee company, kind of combining my love for quote unquote, superfoods and, and always interested in cannabis and, and CBD and cryptocurrency, because as you'll see that, you know, we're advocating for cannabis companies to accept cryptocurrency and, you know, Crazy Calm, the, the company uh, accepts it and um, incentivizes people to spend it both in e-commerce and, and wholesale. So let's dive into CBD and coffee, which is what you're up to. Understanding that there are probably some claims that you can't make due to federal regulations. Why do you combine them? What's the value? Sure. And of course, there is a legitimate concern that you're, they're adding CBD to everything, to, to gummies and pet treats. Does, does CBD need to be added to everything? No. So coffee and CBD both work on the same re receptors in the brain. I believe they're called the adenosine receptors. So what happens with caffeine is a lot of people, you know, feel that that caffeine rush, but there's also a crash. It can be a little bit jittery and anxiety causing. And so CBD just kind of mellows out the feeling. And I found anecdotally, I've been drinking CBD coffee since the beginning of last year, either eliminates or softens the, the caffeine crash. So energy and feeling you get from it, I find to be a pleasant improvement of just coffee alone. It sounds like what people describe who've been consuming bulletproof coffee, which has been around for a while and it's coffee with you add fractionated coconut oil or grass-fed butter and it sort of cushions 
the caffeine in your system, things last longer, you have a more sustained energetic fuel that takes you through the day. Is CBD a similar experience? So I've made, you know, just adding in the ghee, the grass-fed butter and uh, Mm -hmm. coconut oil. I find this to be, you feel this a lot more and there's no oil floating around in your coffee. But I'm sure that the Bulletproof Coffee guys who've done a lot of cool things, they probably sell a, a mix where you don't have to see the oil floating around. So describe how your coffee comes when someone purchases it. Our CBD coffee in sachets. I don't know if you ever tried Four Sigmatic, but it's it's similar to that, except our sachet is a little bit wider than, not, for, not wider than Four Sigmatic, but wider than a typical sachet you get when you add sugar or in common with sugar packets you get that are the long, thin ones. Not like the sweet and low, but the long, thin ones. This is wider. And, oh, um, yeah, yeah. I know what you it's mean. It's got a tear handle and you pour it in mixed with eight ounces of water and yeah, you're ready to go. Eight ounces of hot water, preferably, but you could do cold water. It's water-soluble CBD powder, not CBD oil, and freeze-dried organic instant coffee. No, water-soluble CBD, is that a proprietary technology? We tend to think of cannabinoids as being more oil-soluble. It is not a proprietary technology because there's a lot of suppliers. And again, this is broad Mm -hmm. spectrum, so 0% THC. Now, I don't feel comfortable until I have the studies, but I've heard from multiple CBD suppliers of broad spec that... The water-soluble CBD powder has a higher bioavailability than most traditional CBD oils. But in terms of the science, I'm still learning about that, so I don't feel comfortable making any claims on that. But I, okay. but I do hope to know more about that, and I can definitely feel it. Where are you sourcing your CBD from? From Colorado. Are you sourcing them from the growers themselves? Do you have relationships with the folks who you're, who you're sourcing from? We don't. The company that we work with is a pretty large CBD supplier and okay. they have some of their farms and they buy hemp from other companies and but they do all the their their main bread and butter is the processing and creating the broad spec CBD extracts. And is your stuff organic? I'm sorry you might have said. So CBD cannot be organic right now because of USDA guidelines, but they use organic compliant hemp. Does that make sense? So our coffee is organic, yep. the the hemp's organic, but the process is, you know, at least today in 2020, it cannot be USDA organic. Is that frustrating for you at all? Yeah. And so especially in the organic produce and selling dried organic fruit, it is a bit frustrating. And I thought that, you know, it's on our packaging. I thought that people would see this and, but a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't know your coffee was organic. And so I think people get used to that USDA logo visually. And so that I guess it is a, a little bit frustrating, but listen, I'm happy that we were able to launch because, you know, a couple of years ago, we would not be able to launch a CBD coffee brand. So yeah, I'm just so focused on that that I haven't really thought about it so much. When you look at the arc of cannabis legalization overall in the country, certainly it's been lumpy and a little bit sort of piecemeal, but things are definitely better than where they were 10 years ago. So do you find yourself feeling hopeful about where things are headed or do you feel like things are going to sort of stay stuck in the confluence of bureaucracy and misinformation and very different attitudes in different regions about what's okay or do you feel like things are moving forward in a positive way? I'm cautiously optimistic. It's so difficult to read regulation because, you know, it's next month, X person or X agency is going to make a ruling. And you saw what happened in New York last week. New York seems to be pretty tough on on CBD. I hope it goes in the right direction. I understand that big pharma is coming after CBD and, you know, they kind of want to own this industry. So that's, that's Mm -hmm. a legitimate threat. I mean, I remember, man, this is five months ago, maybe six months ago, um, the ex FDA director came up with that op-ed in the Washington Post, which is really just a fear mongering saying that we need to like control this CBD craze. And all it was doing, it was taking a study of 
a pharmaceutical drug for epilepsy that uses, I think it's like 600 milligrams of CBD. Don't quote me on that. But it's like epidiolic? Yeah, it's like 30 times yeah. the dose of our coffee in most, uh, you know, some even have 10 milligram doses, but you know, a much, you know, 30 times the dose mixed with other things and, say, and like testing that on rats and saying they had liver, right? And so right. while I don't agree a lot with, we'll call them the powers that be, and I don't want to demonize all of them. There's some, you know, good people there too, but not a huge fan of the heavy regulation. Um, and lack yeah. of regulation, the ambiguity is, is probably the most difficult thing to deal with running a CBD and cannabis business. And are you able to sell nationwide or are there only certain markets where you can exist? Um, so we sell online right now, um, you know, nationwide, but we're not going into any stores in New York right now. And then California and Oregon, because medical, you know, the medical marijuana dispensaries or just marijuana dispensaries in general, they have a team to control the market where people go to buy it. And it's, it's, I think it's a little bit more difficult to sell there. I'm still trying to figure that out. But so New York and uh, California and Oregon, we're not in stores, but online we ship anywhere. And how are you getting traction for your business? My buddy and co-founder, Robbie, he's gone nationwide with their brand before, and he's doing all the retail selling to wholesale to you know, retail stores. And then mm -hmm. I am doing the online marketing and I'm focused on just creating interesting content and educating people like podcasts like this. You know, that's what I'm doing. I'm right. going on podcasts, writing articles, trying to find a different theme for, for each one as a way to build trust to the brand and, and get the word out. So I have to ask you this, and it might seem like a pokey kind of question, but it really comes from a recognition of our larger context from an environmental perspective. Are your sachets, your packets recyclable? They're not. And I, okay. I appreciate the question. So I have had a brand. I used to have a brand in Colombia. I had an organic beverage mix where everything was made from sugarcane packaging. I would say it's something that's important to us that we'd like to do. But we had like, to get launched the co-packer that we work with that, you know, we send them the mix and, and they put it, you know, they put it all together in the packaging. We don't have an option for that yet, but it's definitely something okay. we would like to do. So let's get back to one of the interesting pieces of this puzzle is that you come out of the cryptocurrency world. It took me a long time to understand what Bitcoin was. But when I first discovered, it, I was like, how is this even possible that people were able to create a, a currency? And I think maybe the heuristic that got me most excited was or two things. One was just the response to the banking crisis, you know, money that you own become your own bank. Um, but two, looking at the history of money, and it used to be we'd have faith in the church, right? And the Roman Catholic Church and other churches kind of dominated um, society. They were the rulers, right? The church. And then it became government. So we went from faith in, you know, the, the church to faith in people. And there's a lot of shortcomings when it comes to the money supply and an economist and central planning. And so I love the idea of, and I've always been a math person as well, is faith in code and faith in mathematics. And, and so that's what Bitcoin at its core is about. You know, it's code is, is there for everyone to review. Of course, the whole idea of seeing transactions on a, on a public ledger where everyone can see transactions and just thinking about that, the implications for that are pretty incredible. I'm going to back up a second because I think money is one of those things which is kind of like air. It's just there. And we just engage with it the way everybody else engages with it. And we don't really think about it. Money is fundamentally, though, a cultural construct, isn't it? It's a thing that we agree on so that we can simplify certain behaviors in society. Would you, would you agree with that kind of definition? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that as uh, one way to look at it. Say, I wouldn't consider myself an expert on money, uh, although you have to okay. learn a lot about you have to learn a lot about monetary history, but I think you're right. It's a cultural construct in that we 
determine its value. It's it's subjective, right? It's not an intrinsic value. It's because collectively we accept the U.S. dollar that you'll accept it when I when I give it to you. If people didn't accept it, it quickly would would lose its its value. So having lived in Colombia for nine years, where I started my fruit company, and seeing what's happened in Venezuela, Argentina, Turkey, Zimbabwe, Iran, when the money is not as good and not as sound, you see how that affects the culture and daily life and how that leads to income inequality. And I think we think of money as the thing that the government kind of hands down to us. And yet I know that particularly in the sustainability world, there have been plenty of communities where they have developed local currency. You know, when you first hear about it, you think, oh my God, is that legal? Is it possible? And it turns out that it is, they just do it. And whether or not people outside that community accept the value of that currency, at least within those communities, it allows for those kinds of transactions to take place in a measured way. So it sounds like I would imagine in the cryptocurrency world, a lot of people would ask the question, are we allowed to make our own money? And the US dollar used to be based on the gold standard. God knows what it's based on now. What backs up cryptocurrency? I think of the cryptocurrencies as payment networks, and there's no intrinsic value but the you know the amount of payments going through you know determining the exact value is very difficult there's a lot of speculation right now which makes it very mm-hmm. hard to value i expect that it's going to be quite volatile for a while i, I try to focus cuz a lot of people ask me about the price like where is the price going i have no idea i try to focus on the utility and so a recent example you know edward snowden's book sales their proceeds they got confiscated right he had you know a new york times best selling book I believe the FBI and, and the CIA were not fans of the book, understandably, and uh, they confiscated the proceeds for a book that he sold, right? And so wow. what's most interesting about Bitcoin is that you own your your money and no one can take it away from you. And so there's a lot of use cases where, for example, I know people from Venezuela, a graphic designer and a, a front-end developer, one moved to Panama, one moved to Atlanta as a refugee they were able to leave the country and get to their final destinations. There's no way you're going to exit a authoritarian regime like Venezuela with a bunch of gold and money in your Rolex, whatever you have in your, right. in your backpack and say, oh, yeah, just leaving. Hey, thanks so much. They're going to take it, right? Uh, 100%. But with, with cryptocurrency, you can store a password in your head. It, it's really, you know, truly global, global money. Um, and I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of people have seen value with that. Uh, more outside the United States and, and quote, you know, in the developing world than within the United States. And then in the, the cannabis space, I mean, the, the first use case for cryptocurrency was the Silk Road, which was a marketplace used to buy and sell drugs safely with kind of an Amazon review system. So, you know, I, I think one of the problems of, of drugs sometimes is not necessarily what's in there, but or the drug itself, but what they add into it. And so having right. an Amazon review system for buying drugs, not have to deal with dealers, everything online. I remember in the Silk Road case, that's that's how Bitcoin was used. And even the the head of the Baltimore Police Department said, hey, these people are doing it online with a marketplace. People know what they're getting. There's no gang violence you know, around the Silk Road. This is a lot safer way to buy and, and, and sell you know, marijuana and, and other drugs. It sounds like given the challenges that a lot of people in the cannabis business world are having with banking, with having no place to put their money, with having no way to get loans. Being able to operate in the cryptocurrency sphere means that they can do an end run around those issues. Yes, for sure. And there was an article on NPR 
one of the, and this is, I'm sure it happens in Vermont too, but one of the big cannabis growers, legal cannabis growers in California, the CFO, right, supposed to head of finance, traveling around with a, a guard with as an AK-47 and bags of cash. It's really unsafe and really impractical. And then also for our company and others, it's hard to find a bank. Most banks will not accept you. You either have to lie about it or find a small bank that will work with you. We decided to be open and just say, hey, we're working with CBT because we didn't want to get shut down. And then payment processors are tough to find. And if you're lucky enough to find a payment right. processor, you know they're going to charge you 4 or 5%, maybe more. You can be shut down any day. We're already in a very uncertain space. We talked about regulation in the beginning. We don't know where CBD and, and cannabis and, and marijuana are going. But we hope it does seem like it's trending in the right direction, which is great. But there's zero guarantees. Obviously, I love cryptocurrency. You can tell by the way I talk about it and the <laughs> reflections in my voice and, and what it stands for. But I also see it as a strategic play for our company. We offer a 10% discount when you pay with cryptocurrency on our website. And we've had over 20 orders so far, which is pretty amazing. And, and so I see it. One is we pay zero processing fees, right? So with cryptocurrency, it's zero. That's 5% savings right there that we don't have to pay our payment processor. And the other 5%, I think of that as a, a market investment. If a new law passes and all of a sudden we lose our payment processor, at least we have an option and people that have already paid with cryptocurrency on our website in, in case that happens. I, I'm not saying that you should only accept cryptocurrency, but as an additional payment method, I think it's something mm -hmm. that all cannabis companies at the very least need to explore. So there's the two sides of the electronic coin here. There's the buyer and the company. I'm an individual out in the world. I've never used cryptocurrency before, but I want to get your coffee and I want to support the ease of your financial situation. How would I get going? How would I get a hold of some and how do I pay you? A couple of websites like coinbase.com, Uphold, U-P-H-O-L-D, Kraken, where you can acquire it. I'll include some links on how to do that. Each website kind of has a how-to. And then once you get it, I created a video how to check out on our website using cryptocurrency. I'll walk you through it. If you if you have it on your phone and, and a phone wallet, right? Let's just say you have some Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum or Litecoin on your phone. You would go to our website. Typical checkout as always. The good thing is cryptocurrency transactions are not sense. You can't censor them, meaning you don't have to have a billing address to match as a credit card. We can never deny your credit card. You just select cryptocurrency and checkout, the same as you would accept Visa or MasterCard. That's something everyone's done. And then when you get to the payment page, with your phone wallet, you scan a QR code, click send. The amount's already calculated. The transaction goes through. And so it's it's pretty simple. Obviously, I've done you know hundreds, maybe thousands of transactions, so I might be biased. But I'm happy to walk anyone through doing it. And and once you've yeah. done it, I've walked a couple, three people through. Once you do it, it's it's actually quite easy. I'm not going to say it's as seamless as current you know Apple Pay or Google Pay or anything like that. I mean... I would say one of the difficulties of cryptocurrency is it's much more difficult to use in store than the traditional banking system today. Emphasis on today because, you know, this is like the internet in 1996 was not easy to use. Does that give you a decent summary of, of how it kind of works? Yeah, absolutely. So let's say I'm a, I'm a can of business and, and I think this sounds like a great idea. How complex it, is it to get set up? So for e-commerce, there's plugins like Coinbase Commerce, which I use, that uh, you just enable in Shopify or WooCommerce. It's pretty simple. And that automatically sets everything up and handles getting the cryptocurrency to, to your wallet. So I'd probably recommend Coinbase Commerce over anything else because it's so easy to use. And so it doesn't, without technical expertise, if you can manage a Shopify online store or a, a WordPress website, the integration is actually quite easy. That's fantastic. When people start hearing about this, 
from a business perspective, what end up being the barriers to getting involved with cryptocurrency? One is education. What I just said today, most people don't know. Two is, and a lot of that is just skepticism. Like, what is this? Is it going to work? And maybe that is related to, to education. It's such an esoteric thing and it takes a long time to understand. And if you're listening right now and you have no idea what Bitcoin is, that's okay. The example I give is the internet. You'll probably go and buy an Amazon.com, which has a lot of different protocols working together, like the HTTP secure protocol, the TCP IP. Even if you don't know what they are, you still like using Amazon.com. And so that's all to say that understanding Bitcoin takes a long time. It took me months to understand it. I think a lot of people are probably, rightfully so, just kind of turned off by how complex it is. So I try to focus on just the, the everyday use and the benefits to, to the person. Basically, we trust that someone waves a magic wand, a miracle occurs, and we have Bitcoin. If we're so inclined, we can do a deep dive into where it all comes from. But you're feeling like, even for the skeptical, they don't have to do a deep dive into it for it to be a system that they can trust. Well, here's what I'd say. Again, this is not investment advice. I don't tell people to invest or buy Bitcoin as an investment because we don't know where it's going. I think you need to do your own research. But when I talk about adding as a payment method, understand that very few people are spending Bitcoin today, right? It's going to be a small percentage of your orders. So if, if all of a sudden you're an e-commerce website or a retail store and you add Bitcoin and 100% of your orders from Bitcoin, that's something where, yeah, you better do a lot of research. But I don't think any more than 1% or even maybe 2%, but probably around 1% maximum would be your order. So understanding that it's not like all of a sudden all your money is now in Bitcoin. So I think that's one thing that people are scared off by. And in, at least today in, in 2020, that's not going to be an issue. You know, everyone's looking for ways to market their company. The cryptocurrency community is very happy to support any cannabis company that accepts Bitcoin. So you'll get some customers and some free press just for starting to accept it in the first place. I'm wondering if, if there's anything I haven't asked you yet that you want to be talking about? Well, well, yeah, I, I, I want to make sure that, you know, this episode is an exploratory deep dive. Maybe I'll come back in the future if, if the audience digs it into mm -hmm. accepting Bitcoin and, and cannabis. But one thing that we talked about before recording that I think is interesting is kind of the overlap of the cryptocurrency and cannabis communities. Cannabis mm -hmm. community being a, a counterculture movement, largely from the 60s, anti-war, and, and the Bitcoin community also is a counterculture movement, the, the cypherpunks, right? The kind of in response to the 2008 financial crisis where the banks hurt a lot of people and did not have to pay the price. We all mm -hmm. paid the price for that. I've spoken to a lot of people in the, in the cannabis company, including our, our supplier, and they say, hey, yeah, we're interested in it. Like, you know, they're like, for our supply chain, we'd be open to accepting Bitcoin, you know, for payments and, and Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies because they don't understand exactly what it is, but they can sense and feel energetically that it that there's a lot in common between cannabis and, and cryptocurrency. There's just a sense, too, of trying to promote personal freedoms. Everyone would love for cannabis to be free, like get at the farmer's market, like artisanal tomatoes. Unfortunately, that's not the way it works. So there's the current reality that we have to live in, but then there's also smoothing the path through the current reality as best you can. And it sounds like that's part of what you're talking about is that that's what Bitcoin is doing in this context. Yeah, spot on. I also wanted to add, if anyone wants more resources to learn or they just have more questions about what we talked about today, my email is matt at crazycalm, C-R-A-Z-Y-C-A-L-M dot C-O. 
send me an email and I'm happy to answer more questions. I'm sure people are going to listen to this and at least be curious. Probably skeptical, but that's okay. I'd also be skeptical about the U.S. dollar, right? Thinking about uh, the amount of value it's lost. And I think the budget has gone up so much, the, the government spending budget, and they just approved, what, a $935 billion spending plan for the military. So, I mean, it's pretty daunting numbers. Listen, it's not for everyone. If you're not interested, well, at least you found out. If you are interested, send me an email. I really want to get cannabis owners thinking about accepting this as a payment method. To conclude, from either the world of CBD coffee or the world of Bitcoin, you know, the various streams that you're operating in, do you have any charismatic stories of, of your experience that you want to share with everybody? You know, get something you could leave people on a high, no pun intended, note. I know. <laughs> I like that, a high note. Something that you'll find very interesting, have you heard of the conference Anarchapulco? No. Okay, so it's the largest anarchy conference, and they have a crypto stage, and a lot of hemp activists go there. Ron Paul speaks there. Um, it's it's in Acapulco, Mexico, every year. I was there last year, and I I was working at Bitcoin.com, and I, I gave a speech on our efforts in Venezuela. Now, uh, the reason I bring that up is maybe the most iconic strand of marijuana is Acapulco Gold, right? That came up in the 60s and 70s, right? And so mm -hmm. it's cool in this place, which uh, and a lot of people in the cryptocurrency movement and you hang out in Acapulco and there's this large conference in Acapulco that intersects a lot of marijuana, psychedelics and cryptocurrencies in one place. So just seeing that connection there, I think that is is pretty fascinating. And, and so, you know, it was a great conference last year. I'll probably go again this year. I don't know if that's a, a personal story per se, I, no wild story there. I'm sure I have some, I just are not coming to mind right now. I think it's an example of what you just said, how different streams of engagement in the world come together in really unexpected ways. Probably no one expected there would be a cryptocurrency panel at an anarchist conference in Acapulco, where this famous strain of cannabis came from. So it's sort of the magic of how the world wraps around on itself. Yeah, yeah. And one other thing, this is obviously not a personal story, but um, I'm sure, of course, you know, the high times, right? And Hunter Thompson, Charles Bukowski, you know, some iconic American writers wrote for it. And what I read the other day was very interesting. I believe in 1974, the guy who founded it, he died four years later, but he was bringing in pot from Jamaica and selling it in the United States. And so he took some of that money, went into somewhere in Florida and opened a business bank account, which is crazy to think about. You can never do that today. Just show up with like $50,000 of cash and say, hey, I want to start a business. But that's <laughs> how he founded the, the High Times. And banking was obviously much different back then. We had just gone off the gold standard. Nixon took us off the gold standard, I believe, in 1971. Things have changed where banking today is heavily regulated and it affects everyone in a lot of adverse ways. And it's kind of a security theater where it's supposed to protect quote unquote, the bad guys from moving money around, but it gets moved around anyway. And we, the the people have to, to pay the price. You know, Occupy Wall Street happened in maybe 2008, 2009. And it was, it was kind of cool because people were saying, hey, something bad is happening here on Wall Street, but they, there wasn't really a plan. Bitcoin as, uh, you know, it's still early. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, but at least this is a plan to provide additional freedom of, you know, a choice for people to use a different type of money, no matter what race, nationality or socioeconomic stratus you are. You know, that's a really interesting point because I think there was a lot of hope that after the banking crisis, the problems would get regulated away. And that didn't happen at all. So in a way, it's people saying, you know what, we're not going to depend on 
the players from business as usual culture to solve these problems that, because they're committed to, to maintaining the status quo. Instead, we're going to walk away from that and go do something completely different that addresses all these problems without having to get legislation through Congress. Exactly. It's just like what Uber did with taxis, right? And not that they haven't mm-hmm. had their problems. Like they opened up as a proxy for ride sharing. They changed the world. And, but they didn't do it by getting approval via regulation. They just created something that was so good that government saw was so positive for their citizens, both the users and the people that were able to have part-time incomes. And, and then, of course, Lyft and all these other things are coming out and the whole peer-to-peer sharing. You know, so sometimes you have to really create something that's completely outside the system and create a revolution. Revolution might be a strong word there, but you know, evolution and create something completely new as a way to impose mm-hmm. change as opposed to just a incremental improvement or getting X law passed, which obviously, as you said, and very well put, to change nothing after the 2008 financial crisis. It sounds like in a way that that's one of the larger scale takeaways from this whole experience. And part of the story that you're sharing is here's a thing that you can do now that'll be really helpful for you. But if you care about addressing the problems in the world, the take home lesson is sometimes you got to work within the system and sometimes it's create new systems altogether. Don't even try to, and I'm putting words in your mouth, I know. So let me know if this is taking things too far, but you're saying in a way, don't even try to change what's broken. Just go make something altogether new. Then you don't have to worry about whether or not you can move the needle on something that is so huge and so entrenched that you can be just banging your head against a wall. Yes, very well put. Obviously, there's exceptions to that where you may want to improve an existing system. But I think that's a really powerful thing to think about. And, you know, Elon Musk obviously embraces this. You know, the guy that started Uber embraces this. Guy or girl who started Bitcoin, that's anonymous. We don't know who this person is that started Bitcoin is. It's very powerful and you can create a a new system, a new paradigm. Anything else you want to say? No, I I just want to say say thank you so much for having me (laughs) on the show. It was a really fun conversation, really good questions. And I'm very excited to see the response we get from the Hedy Vermont audience. I don't have a 401k plan. I'm, you know, it's it's my company here. Um, (laughs) Yeah, none of us do. That's okay. Any uh, retail stores listening, please reach out. Would love Mm -hmm. to test getting our our CBD coffee into your, your store. Well, Matt Aaron from Crazy Comb, CBD coffee company. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really curious to see where this all adds. Sounds great. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Unhidden. Thanks so much to Matt Aaron for sharing his story and to West End Blend for the excellent theme song. Thanks also to the whole team at Hedy Vermont, Monica Donovan, Aaron Doble, Christina Hall, and our canine overlords, Oso, Potato, and Luna. You can visit Hedy Vermont on our website, HedyVermont.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can find the Unhidden podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever fine podcasts are sold. We'll see you next time. Get to feel it, to feel it. Giving all you are the star